1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast. Kyle was with me for three episodes. There he goes out the door. (laughs) He's got a new baby at the house, and uh, traffic is not kind to leaving this part of town to get home. So I told him I could handle this one solo with Mr. Jenkins. Not his first rodeo on here. Certainly not his first rodeo on a podcast, but it is his first rodeo at writing a book, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Boom. Yeah, James's new book, Leaving Captivity, which I think is interesting, man, because it's a it's a side of our industry that I think you've kind of got cornered right now, if I have to be honest with you. I I feel like there's the people who are talking to the independents and the people that are talking to the producers about sales, and there are the people who are captive and talking to captives, but I don't know of anybody else that's putting out content around not being captive anymore. And there's a huge wave of people that are coming into the independent channel and they're looking for help, man. So talk yeah. a little bit about like the thought process behind writing the book and why you wanted to get it out.
2: Man, first off, thank you for having me. I know you got a million things on your plate, so I appreciate you sharing some of your valuable time. And of course, your audience is... Uh, Bigger than my audience on the podcasting land by a lot. So thank you for that. It's, it's an honor to be here. And for those of you that are listening and that are in the uh, killing commercial family, howdy. Thanks for giving me a uh, few minutes of your time today. The, the whole thing for the book was really two reasons, two sets of reasons, I should say. The first is that was my story. And when I was contemplating leaving my captive agency, it took me probably several months longer than it would have otherwise. Because there wasn't a book like this. There was no blueprint at that time. There was nobody I could pick up the phone and call and say, hey, how do I do this? I want to leave. I'm not happy where I am. I see a better opportunity. But I'm terrified of what it looks like to go from here to there. And what does spin-up look like? And all the all the things that I become responsible for the moment that I'm no longer with this captive carrier – that admittedly was doing a whole bunch of stuff, lots of tech, lots of support, lots of behind the scenes stuff that most captive agents don't even really think about because it's so day-to-day and it's not on their radar until they contemplate leaving and have to catalog all the things the carrier does for them that as an IA, of course, you, know, you and our listening audience here, we're all responsible for as independent agents. So the, the first reason was really It didn't exist when I needed it. And out of empathy, it was like, hey, you know what? When I figure this thing out, I'm going to make sure that people that come behind me in that leaving process have an easier time leaving than I did because it was brutal, man. I know you may not remember the details of when we met in San Diego on the back of that boat in the harbor, but I was in a bad spot. I was 10 months into my independent journey and still hadn't really figured out a lot of really important things that obviously by now I have.
1: <laughs> That's the wrong place to try and figure it out, man. You got everything under yeah. the sun thrown at you. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why I probably
2: worked 90 hours a week on average in that first year. And the the, the second reason, any you want me to go to the second one or you want to come back on the yeah, first one? go ahead, one? man. You know, it, the second reason, honestly, is just relevance of content. It's like everybody has done a podcast, everybody seems like has written a book, you know, you have a couple of times, uh, Billy Wagner, and a lot of other people, uh, if I was going to list off things like not that many people have written a book as have done the podcast thing. But there's still a lot of books out there. I wanted to do something that was unique enough to have traction. And just looking at it from a basic you know, marketing perspective, I'm not going to regurgitate someone else's content. So I have to do something that hasn't already been done seven times before. So the Leaving Captivity, the book, it's definitely targeted, the audience is targeted to people that are either a producer or uh, a, a agency principal in the captive world and want to go IA. But from a, a simple business perspective, a lot of folks that are buying this book are going to buy it and then hand it to someone That's in that profile, because, you know, the the Keystones, the Pacific, the Iroquois, the SIAAs of the world, anybody who wants to meet and wants to talk to captive agents who want to consider the IA alternative. This book is an amazing recruiting tool because it's coming from the perspective of someone who did exactly what they're considering doing. So I I was thinking about who in the world is going to read this book. Well, it's two profiles, and those are really the two. It's the people that want to take this journey and the people that want to help people take this journey. And then, of course, the third bucket is people that just find me entertaining or informative for whatever reason. The the third bucket is pretty small, of course, compared to the first two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back for just a second, though. I mean, I think for those of us that are in the independent channel and have never known anything differently, we don't realize how. Much easier it is for some facets of running an agency on the captive side. Tech tech stack being one. How much choice did you have over your tech stack when you were captive?
2: Man, I'm going to be honest with you. I never gave it a single thought. Right, and and now you have
1: every choice under the sun,
2: which is way too many choices. Yeah, way too many choices. The amount of analysis paralysis that happens in the typical IA um, agency. When it comes to technology and choices and implementation, I mean, I don't know how much wasted labor hours there are, but but I got to think it's a lot of time spent on figuring out what the next tech toy is. And and, and you've said it so many times on, on your content and podcast and whatnot, the shiny object syndrome. That's simply not a thing in the captive agency world nearly as much as it is in the IA world. Now, they still have their toys, obviously, you know, agent MVP, you know, Todd uh, McLean. He's here in Arlington as a good example of the sort of tech that caters to captive agents. But it's a tiny sliver of the pie compared to what goes after the independents.
1: Yeah. So talk. I mean, the book is kind of like a vehicle. I, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I don't want to say lead magnet per se, because it's not I wouldn't necessarily say it's a lead magnet, but. To me, the book is kind of a, and I say the book. I'm also talking about the books that I've written too. I think anybody, once you've authored something, it's sort of like the foundation of who you are, what you believe, general premise. But then you've got a lot of other outlets. If people pick up a copy of that and they look at that, I don't want to say manifesto, but I mean, if they if they look at that, is sort of their roadmap. Like, hey, here's a guy that that was captive, wasn't happy, left. Seems ecstatic in the independent channel. These are all the lessons he's learned. This is how he's done the very specific things, you know, all of that. You know, where, what else are they going to find? You know, there's a lot of rabbit holes they can go down on the internet at this point. I mean, as you're well aware, I certainly know how to create and go down rabbit holes. So, yep. Let everybody know, like, if they, if they, Do you and I don't I honestly don't know the answer to this question. Do you have a group or a community that's based around the book? I know you have your group that that you've had for a while now on Facebook, but I didn't know if you did anything book specific or not. Because I think that's the one thing that a lot of people I I know how I am. I read a book and I have a million questions. I wish I had somebody I could ask the questions to most of the time.
2: Yeah. And I put a lot of additional content uh, on the website behind a subscriber wall. And the last page of the book has the code word that gets you into all that content for free, of course. You know, I got to be honest, I am not that clever this time. There isn't any sort of upsell. There isn't some coaching group or some subscription thing of, hey, you read my book, now join my program. And pay $99 a month or whatever it happens to be. There's nothing wrong with that. Lord knows I did that with your program and you know, other stuff out there too. There's, I'm not knocking that approach at all. It's very effective. In this case, and I might be reducing some of my own prestige when I say this, but I, I didn't get that deep into the creation of an ecosystem around a book. It really was a bit of a passion project. and literally page one of chapter one says this book didn't exist when I needed it most. So I wrote it and
1: all the other stuff. Hey, here's just, a fun fact. Killing commercial didn't exist when I needed it most. So I created it. Like, I think that's the, the best stuff, man. And that's the thing. You know, we were talking about this a little bit ago. We, we had just interviewed the, uh, the founder of, of Ideal Traits the, in the slot right before you. And I was talking to Kevin about it, and I said, "You know the thing I find interesting in in all of this is I don't is how many excuses agencies have, right? And I said, "I don't hire people from inside the industry. A lot of people assume, and it does have to a certain degree, especially with production, has to do with bad habits. That's not the case. I said, the reason I hire from people people from outside the industry, is because I was from outside the industry and I was told no 12 times before number 13 said yes. So I decided if I ever got to a point where I had an agency, I had the ability to control giving people an opportunity, I was going to give people from outside the industry an opportunity because I wasn't given one. And the number one reason why is because I was told there was no way for them to train and develop me, you know, coach me along the way, keep me accountable and you know let's call it what it is i mean it's not like i'm a dinosaur but at the end of the day 20 years ago the internet wasn't as hip on learning management systems and all of the things that we have at our fingertips today so it was probably a little bit more difficult than that so yep that's really kind of why i i I created killing commercial was honestly number one to digitize my 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 brain and, and be able to use it for my own agency but then also because it didn't exist. There wasn't anybody out there that was doing anything at the same general with the same general approach. There's other other stuff out there, obviously. Yep. But yeah, man. I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said about that, you know, of just taking charge. Hey, this didn't exist. Other people are gonna need it. I'm gonna go ahead while it's fresh on my mind. Let's memorialize this thing and get it out there to everybody.
2: Yeah. And and honestly, that, you know, looking back on how else I might have answered your question had things gone a little bit differently. If I had waited a couple of years longer, maybe even one year longer to start writing the book, I probably would have built an ecosystem around it because as 2023 has transpired, RiskWell has matured to the point that my daily activity today looks very different than it did mm. just one year ago because our staff is, has matured. They're well-trained. They're highly driven, highly talented people. But when I started writing this last summer, our hair was still on fire and we, we were still missing a few really important elements. We hadn't promoted people and, and really trained them up and equipped them yet. And I was still in the trenches every single day. And I didn't simply didn't have available hours to put the thought into building out an ecosystem. But yeah, there's definitely value in that. And I have to admit it, those that are in the Agency Freedom Group on Facebook have realized that by now. That's pretty much on the shelf at this point. There's not new content being dropped in there simply because I gotta admit, I was I was a little bit uh, you know, disenfranchised with the amount of engagement. I had about 25 or 30 people that were regular in attending the calls that I used to do, the the, the live calls, and were engaging in the group, you know, asking questions, making comments and and whatnot. But outside of that 25 or 30 people, it, it was. Really dead and dead to the point is like, what am I doing with my, you know, five or 10 hours a week I was spending on a group that I'm not making any money on? And it's very clear that it's not growing like other groups have grown. So there was a lot more effective ways. Because you
1: weren't charging.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's exactly why it was. I mean, honest to God, man, people perceive the value in something based on what they pay for it. And no matter how good the advice is you would give, no matter how good the conversation people a lot of people are just not willing to take that first step because they just feel like it's just another flash in the pan you know or what's the real point here point being um you know as killing commercial has grown as i've gone up and increased the enrollment fee from the original price to the next price to what it is now it has not slowed down in fact, when you charge more money, you actually attract a completely different agency at that yeah. point, which which is interesting. I don't even know that it's the agency I want to attract, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. I still have to decide that, but I think it's uh, I think it's really cool to see, you know, how how things have sort of changed over time with with just my own little, you know, creation that I have let alone watching how it's worked out for some of my friends.
2: And What I have seen in on the speaking side of things is exactly what you just described. And it's counterintuitive, and it's wild to see play out. But I, I made a conscious effort that 2023, one, is the year I published the book. And right alongside the book is the year I become a professional public speaker. And I went deep into it, read all the books and, and all the stuff. But you're exactly right, because I went from not charging anything six months ago to charging thousands of dollars for an hour of my time to go speak to a group. And as I, over the course of you know four, five, six months, went from, holy crap, I'm not charging enough, and just bumped it up overnight, literally just tripled my price overnight. I was getting a lot more interest from people that wanted to have me speak as the perceived value of several thousand dollars versus you know fifteen hundred dollars is a completely different speaker it's kind of wild how things happen in people's brain with with a number getting bigger but you're absolutely right
1: yeah it's it it's really interesting i've learned a lot going through that whole process so what's been the most rewarding part of writing the book
2: you know i i gotta be reflective in that the the feedback from the people that I first sent it to, yourself included, was harsh, honestly. The first draft of this was not nearly as good as the final one ended up being.
1: Was and, Ryan uh, Hanley's feedback as bad as he told me it was? It was, it was pretty brutal, man. He, he told me
2: he was very rough on you. I believe this is as close to a direct quote as I can get six months <laughs> later because I didn't I'm write am going to keep my down. mouth shut
1: because I don't want to tell you what he told me he said. I want to hear what you say first and then I'll tell you if it's the same.
2: He, he said, sorry, Hanley, if this is wrong, if this is harsher than what you actually said, but the way that you don't my- You didn't listen to my
1: podcast, you're good.
2: My perfectionist brain, who I'm really hard on myself. You and I are the same animal there. So anything someone else is saying, I've already thought it inside my own head. But Hanley- he read it a little bit, and he's like, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. If we weren't friends, I wouldn't have made it past the first three pages. This is shit. And I'm just like, okay, that is exactly what I needed to hear from you, Hanley. Here's what I want you to do. Read, skim it to your content as much as you're willing to do, and the stuff that doesn't make sense, doesn't belong, or just feels like filler or clutter or whatever, like red line, whatever you hate about the book, and I'll take care of the rest. And then honestly, everybody else was great. Josh Gurley, amazing. Cause I, I tried to find people that were very different. I was gonna say you had a
1: pretty eclectic group of people.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, very intentionally so. I didn't want a bunch of of cookie cutters reviewing the book. And I think the most helpful person of all of them was Peter McDonald mm. at, at Wonder, right? Because that guy just went so far above and beyond. It, it was almost embarrassing to me. How much effort he put into it because he he created one of his Airtable things and he would send me emails a couple of times a week for like three weeks and every email was like four pages long of hey thought about this I read this article and hey what about this and I don't understand this part and have you considered da 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 and he almost was acting as like a professional editor or collaborator which is why in the acknowledgments he gets his own line because he just went so far beyond hey, can you take a look at this and you know tell me what you like and don't like about it? And the book is a lot better because of Peter's feedback from being, one, born and raised insurance kid who cut his teeth in a family agency, and now as the co-founder of an insurtech, his perspective is pretty interesting. So, Yeah,
1: I think so. I mean, and Peter's a pretty cerebral guy to begin with. I mean, he always is going to look at things very, very analytically. So definitely a good guy to get advice from, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciated his, as you said, cerebral. I, I think that's a good word for it. When I think about the content of the book, it, it almost feels like pulling back the curtain because I, I don't mind saying it. I have paid very close attention to what you've done over the years and not not exactly the same because you and I are, have a lot of different personality quirks, but To a large extent, I have modeled some of what I've done after what I've seen you do with great success. And I get to share some specificity in the book, like, hey, how in the world do I get all this stuff done with one set of hours? And you know, chapter three talks about time being the great equalizer. And it's like, we all get 168 hours a week. It is the great equalizer from the White House to your favorite athlete to you and me and every listener of this podcast. What we do with our time is probably one of the most important things about who we are as people. And being able to to lay out exactly how I manage my time and how ruthlessly I am with my calendar, I feel like it is almost like letting someone inside of my brain of, hey, this is how I've built something that's a lot more successful than I thought it would be after only four years. And here's exactly how we did it. Like not holding anything back. is like, here's the good stuff. Every, everything that I know, I'm going to share openly. And yeah, we'll see, we'll see what works. So you know, the, the book has not officially launched. I thought it was going to, but I kept on running into stumbling blocks with the so, you know, so-called publisher that I was working with. I fired them and ended up self-publishing on Amazon because they were terrible. I'm not going to name names, of course, but I found myself asking, why in the world did I work with a publisher? Why didn't I just Google this and talk to David and other people that have already written a book and save myself a lot of headache? But if you're wondering why in the world the book is delayed several months after I said it was going to be launched, launch, then that's why I didn't manage the uh, go-to-market thing correctly.
1: I can order your book right now.
2: Yeah, it's live now. I just haven't announced it yet because oh, some of the content okay, on it. the website, yep. by the time people listen to this episode, I don't know when you're dropping it, but you know, not too far in
1: the future <laughs> maybe sooner than you want we probably need to coordinate that then
2: no no no. that's fine I, i'm basically ready to go i just had some content pieces that i wanted to be live on my website two weeks th- from this wednesday two weeks oh that's yeah. plenty of time yeah
1: yeah uh, we're building the- our inventory back up man when kyle had the baby we we got uh behind an in inventory we've been running a lot of throwbacks
2: yeah no it's it's there's a lot of things that happen when a baby comes along right Yep. Yeah. I, obviously in the next two weeks, you and I will have an amazing time in Key West with all of our friends and you know, 120, 130 something people coming. That's going to be amazing. But yeah, by the time the this episode drops, it has already been announced on all the social channels and I'll, I'll make a big push about it. When Matt Masiello calls and says, hey, where's your book announcement? We want to do some stuff with it. And I haven't seen you talk about it on LinkedIn. So when are you doing that? I was like, well, crap, if Monciello is asking, then I better get my ass in gear and, and get it done because, I mean...
1: Well, they benefit the, from it, man. I mean, if you think about it, that's the, that's the bulk of their constituency is either you're a producer and you're in an agency, you're disgruntled, you think you can do it better, but an overwhelming number of the people who move into the aggregator model are people that are coming from a captive background that need help and have some sort of structure. I mean, yeah. honestly... I didn't even know what aggregators were when I launched my agency. Never thought about it, never took time to research it. None of that. I did it the hard way. I went out and I had to beg and grovel for carrier appointments and ro- remind them of deals that we got done and everything else to get contracts. And man, I would have loved to have had an aggregator right out of the box. I think it makes all the sense in the world, but you know, I think that's I think it's a huge point and I do I think that that anybody who can tell that story like if I'm Matt Masiello, I'm buying as many copies of your book as I need, and I'm sending it out to everybody in my CRM that's a prospect right now because yep. it'll give them some level of peace of mind to be able to make the jump.
2: Well, let's just say without putting words in Masiello's mouth uh, that he and I have talked about that, and that's precisely what I expect they're doing. Uh, because this, if I'm an aggregator, if I'm a recruiter for any one of those that I just named, including some of the smaller ones, you know, Donnell's group and, and trout over in Colorado, or even some of the mid-sized ones, you know, like our, our friend, uh, uh, Kenny urbania with AC, you know, what, what he's doing, they, they are coming in droves. I mean, Taylor and Michael with the, the career agency. I don't even know what the name of their thing. It used to be called career agent concepts, but I don't know what it is today, but they recruit heavily in the captive world as well. It's like, It's like a a pond of cute little eager people that are chomping at the bit to find some way out of the very difficult existence that they have in the exclusive agency channel right now because it's hard. You think we have a hard time on the IA side of things? Those folks are selling one flavor of ice cream. Yeah, you got one product, man. (laughs) it, it, It gets harder and harder to sell every single month. You know, that was a, That was the main reason why I jumped. I didn't want my family's well-being to be dictated by some home office person who makes a decision. And overnight, everything that I do becomes significantly harder because, you know, underwriting guidelines change, commissions get cut, rates go through the roof, and you don't have another option because you're only selling one flavor of ice cream. So the main thing for that side of the conversation the aggregator side and i know this is not what your experience was because you came from a a quality commercial middle market shop you had plenty of experience as that caliber of producer most of these captive agents and a lot of them listen to this podcast because they are trying to gather intel on how in the world they up their skill set by listening to power producers and gaining some of the stuff you talk about like the advanced skills and work comp and, and all the, the sales and prospecting stuff that you do. But the benefit of an aggregator today in this market cycle is exponentially more than it was four years ago because there was options four years ago. When I when I launched my agency four years ago, there was options. You could do it on your own. You could get two or three contracts to start with, build a book, get some track record, and then go out and you know slowly add to your contract in a repertoire. At this point, nobody is giving out net new contracts. You either acquire an existing agency or good luck, man. You better have your stuff in order to fight like hell to earn a contract because the carriers do not want to give anybody a new contract right now. It's wild. I've never seen anything like it in my decade in the industry.
1: Mm. So what, what would you say the biggest hurdle is that you had to overcome moving from captive to independent? Man,
2: I've gotten that question a few times. It's been a couple of years, but as as I reflect on the first maybe two years, maybe 18 months, it is prioritizing the sheer volume of stuff that you have to figure out all at the same time. And I think that's, that's one of the main reasons why I wrote Leaving Captivity is it is overwhelming, doesn't even begin to describe it. Especially if you start with, A small team or you start with no staff and you're as the principal you're literally responsible for every single facet of the agency which if if my memory serves that was your story at the very beginning right it was you were a solo operator at first and then you added to your team as soon as you were able to financially you know that thing coming out of the captive agency world where you're literally figuring out you know one day at a time we've all heard the 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 phrase building your parachute on the way down. That's basically what you're doing because if you're fortunate enough to sell your agency, which I was, my carrier uh, had a contract provision that allowed me to, to have a private sale to another buyer. I left that life with $212,000 in the bank. And over the course of the first 17 months, I spent every penny of that $212,000 getting things off the ground. And thankfully, We turned profitable in month 17 because I was out of money. And if I wasn't profitable in month 17, we may not be having this conversation today. So I think that's probably the answer to the question is just figuring out which fire you put out next, because there's a whole list of fires that need your attention and not enough hours in the day.
1: So what would you say? I'm going to follow it up. What's the greatest reward?
2: You know, it comes back to time value of money, I think. The number of hours that I get to work now and the amount of revenue that is generated from those hours, it creates a lot of flexibility that didn't used to exist. And I know from what I see from you and just conversations that we have, how important family is to you and how important enjoying your life is. You have a lot of nice things. You get to go fun places. You stay at the best hotels. You've earned every bit of that. And, and you work really hard to get to that point. A lot of people aspire to that, but they don't see it as possible. They don't see the path between where they are now to where people that they look up to are, are living and doing. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is being able to extract value out of hours that was never possible before. My hourly rate at my captive carrier was somewhere around 50 or 60 dollars it's about $250 an hour. Now, if I do the basic math on what my personal contribution is to the agency, obviously as an agency, it's a whole lot more than $250. Thankfully, we wouldn't have an agency right now, given how much payroll I have. But I, I think time value of money is probably the best answer to what's the best part about this.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree with you, man. I think that... um I don't know how the captive architecture works on the back end from a cash flow standpoint. I know how it works and doesn't work in the independent channel. And I would say, you know, when you start scratch, um, you had a $212,000 head start on me. I didn't have anything. Um, I had been bled dry before I ever started. So it was a little bit of a different animal. But, um, you know, from my perspective, just learning how to write business to cash flow the agency was first the other thing is not writing that same business in year 3 because it's not good business <laughs> but you have to write what you have to write to yep. take things to the next level i mean there's still accounts in my book that were culling from what i had to write when my non compete was still in- intact but then once you figure that out you know it's it's not terrible right yeah my comment to the the, the the remarks about family and work-life balance and all of that is if it's not a priority to somebody now, like if they can't say, I wish I had more time with my kids, I wish I had more time with my family, I wish I could travel more and really, really mean it. If you can't do that, you're not going to do it when you've worked hard and you have made enough money to afford it. I didn't start spending time and doing things with my family when I could afford it. I started doing it because it was important and I needed to be the best version of myself for them and also wanted to bring them along for the ride. Um, You know, it wasn't until like, if you like, even if you go through social, man, go back a year and a half, you wouldn't have seen nearly the amount of leisure that we have a year and a half ago. The yeah. Last year and a half, yeah, it's been it's been a little bit better. But here's what I would say: anybody who wants to argue that point, the best uh, reward that I've gotten out of that is I can look right there and I could look over in the front area and I can see my oldest son and my second oldest son sitting here doing different things to further the mission and objectives of the agency. And that's not because I beat them over the head and tried to force them to come on board. It's because I exposed them to something. And it wasn't even the job. It was what the job provided for them. So they see those things that we get to do. They see the trips we take. You know, they see the fact that if, um, you know, they want me to knock off a little early on a Friday for a long weekend and take them out of town somewhere, I have the ability to do that now. That wasn't always the case, which is why we appreciate it so much more now that we have that ability. And I just feel like if you make that your priority before you reach the societal definition of success, then you're not yep. going to have a problem once you do. But if you don't have that as a priority, when you make more money and you are perceived as successful, you're just going to find different areas to squander that money and time on.
2: I 100% agree. And it, it's why one of the core messages of the book is a confession that when I was an exclusive agency owner, I was absolutely clueless on some really critical things you asked about uh well not really asked you you referenced you don't know how exclusive agents deal with the the cash flow thing and how they deal on with financial literacy and making good business decisions the short answer is most of them don't most of them don't have a clue what they're doing when it comes to basic financial stuff like you know balance sheet profit and loss income statement all of those things most captive agents don't have a clue. They don't have any idea if they're profitable or not. They don't know how to calculate EBITDA or acquisition cost or any, anything of you know lifetime customer value or whatever. And it, it, Chapter 5 really starts with an admission of, I spent six years owning a captive agency. Never once. That I do any of those things we just talked about? I didn't know what any of that stuff was. I never calculated EBITDA. I never looked at acquisition costs to figure out if a certain account was profitable or not after service load. And the simple reality is a lot of exclusive agents and people that work at those agencies are basically missing out on fundamental financial literacy. That once you realize how certain things are, and the laws that govern all of this stuff, you become a lot better equipped to do something about it because it's that uh, unknown unknowns thing, you know, the Donald Rumsfeld speech with the four quadrants or whatever. If you don't know about something, if there's no awareness, then you can't understand it. Awareness precedes understanding. And that's probably the most dangerous part about you know, good financial behavior is most of these folks that are going to be coming out of the captive world don't have a clue about anything that you and I just talked about. They don't have any idea what next month looks like. They don't have a budget for you know, the second half of the year. If you ask them, how much money do you have to spend on XYZ category, or you go into the Reagan Consulting Big Eye Best Practices book, they'd be lost because they have no idea how, about anything that you just said. And I think without that, you kind of steering a ship without any rudder or even any sails right
1: i think if if i were looking at what i would say this is really hypothetical because it'll never happen but if i were looking at what i would say i would say that the biggest advantage of being an independent versus a captive is you're no longer just an income statement. You're now an income statement and a balance sheet. You're building an asset for yourself and your family. And you just can't do that. You can and, and I want to be very clear about this. There are a lot of successful captive agents out there. I am not throwing shade at them in yeah. any way, shape, or form. There are people who make far more income than I make in a given year and they do amazing things with it. And they own all kinds of real estate and and other investments and everything. And they have multiplied that out. And they have, in fact. Built themselves a balance sheet. That's like not ninety nine percent of the captive people out there. Yeah, that's your top one to two percent. The other people are working for an income, albeit it could be a very healthy income. But what are you really doing, man? Like, what are you really building? You're not. You don't have an asset. You don't have a balance sheet to make it work. Like, you're not going to get your net worth where it needs to be. You know, if you're just constantly just making a really good income, build that residual income, build the, the valuation on your agency. That to me is the single biggest difference. And that allows you to do all the other stuff.
2: You're definitely right. You know, I, I hesitate to ever call any one particular carrier out. The only reason I mentioned this is I interviewed someone on Agency Freedom podcast earlier this week. Wait, wait, today's Monday. It was last week, late last week. And he, they came out of the state farm world and they were very successful state farm agent. And once they realized that certain things aren't possible. Like they were building a very large, well-staffed, highly successful state farm agency and were making a killing on monthly cash flow. But then they they never read the contract when they got into it to find out the exit provisions because they came into it at a very early age. And they became disillusioned almost overnight because they realized it wasn't their book they had no rights to sell what they were building because of the way that that particular agency you know contract works with big red and they very quickly found themselves looking for another opportunity where they were building a balance sheet because with that kind of abilities that kind of work ethic that kind of drive i mean you look at the the 20 year projections the 30 year projections of what that agency is worth it, i mean it's it's well into seven and eight figures that you simply don't have elsewhere. It's wild when you look at the the lifetime value when you're able to exit an agency at some point in the future versus just collecting, like you said, you know, cash flow statement instead of a balance sheet. Where where do you yeah. want to land the plane? I know we're we're about that time.
1: Yeah, we're about that time. I mean, I was just going to ask: Is there anything else that we've missed, or anything else you want to bring up?
2: You know, I, I think it is one of the core messages of the book. And it it is very simply this, even in the independent side of things, and a lot of people that you and I uh, both know and, and would call friends, there is this constant temptation to find a place of comfort and then just kind of coast. And when that happens, it happens usually very subtly and very quietly. And you don't even realize it until you already have found yourself in it for a while. And then you wake up and go, wait a second. No, I, I let my foot off the gas pedal. When did that happen? It's whatever you do. The message of the, of leaving captivity really simply is just be thoughtful and intentional about whatever you do. Because most of the people that listen to this podcast that could potentially even be interested in, in getting a copy of Leaving Captivity, highly intelligent people, highly driven, typically very accomplished in, in various ways. Nobody needs to to teach them any of the basic stuff. It's just a a good firm reminder of be intentional about everything you do. And and I think the the last thing that I would just say is uh, somebody might be tempted to think that this is some sort of ego fluff for me that I'm writing a book so I can lecture everyone about how great I am and how successful I am. It could not be further from the truth. This is basically one big mea culpa of hey, folks. Here's a a list of 15 chapter or 15 concept areas, 13 chapters worth of mistakes that I've made in the last 10 years and the lessons that I've learned from them. So, as we say in early in chapter one, I think it's the second or third sentence of the whole book personal experience is the most expensive and most time consuming way to learn anything. So, if there's anything I can do for anyone who's reading this book, it's hey, learn from the mistakes that I made and the price that I paid please don't make those same mistakes in the same way that I made them here. Read this book, learn from my mistakes. You'll get to your definition of success faster and looking for a place to end this interview that you're polite enough to give me generous. I should say, I think that's probably as good a landing point as I can give uh, for this conversation.
1: Well, I got one better than that. I'm going to help two dozen of you. So if you want a copy of James's book, I am going to give a free copy to the first two dozen people who send me an email. Here's where we fall off the rails. Please follow the directions. David at killingcommercial.com. And in the subject line, write leaving captivity. So I can sort by subject and get all of them in one place when I'm ready to ship. And then in the body of the email, I need your address. I get so many emails from people with just the name of the book in the subject line. no way to send it to you. Give me your address. But Two dozen, the first 24 people that get me those emails, we will get that book out to you within 24 hours of you sending the email and get it into your hands so that you have the ability to start digesting everything in there and using it as a roadmap to help you get your agency on the rails as you enter the independent world. So, and Hey, even if you're in the independent world, probably still some pretty decent tips and tricks in there for you to read anyhow. So I highly encourage everybody to pick up a copy. If you want a free copy, I'm limited to 24 and they will go fast. We get rid of them every single time. So make sure you send that email to David at killing commercial.com with leaving captivity in the subject line and your shipping address and we will get it out to you just as quick as we can. Other than that, Mr. James Jenkins, Riskwell from the great state of Texas, McKinney, Texas. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. It's been a little while since yeah. we've, we've had you on, even as a guest host. So it was good catching up a little bit and certainly plenty more opportunity to do a whole lot more catching up here in the next couple of days. Really looking forward to uh, Key West with everybody. A few tricks up my sleeve.
2: The only thing I would say, just because this has changed in the last several months, I got myself a domain. I paid a lot of money for it. I'm a little embarrassed to say. For everything that's not related to my insurance agency, so for the book, for content, for anything that's not risk-well related, just visit jamesjenkins.com. There's a bunch of additional resources that are completely free for anybody who's buying the book. I'm going to have a blog there and a bunch of other stuff. So uh, when you get your copy, or even if you haven't yet, go to jamesjenkins.com, and I'll make sure it's worth your while. And thanks for having me, man. Look forward to uh, seeing you in Key West.
1: It's going to be a blast, man. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. See ya.
0: You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, level. check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.